Welcome to Naturally Well, a podcast to help you live a healthier and happier life with a Nordic twist. I'm your host, Kate Turner, registered dietitian, personal trainer, Nordic Naturals nutrition specialist, and owner of Live Well with Kate. Today, we have a very special guest on the show, Mike Minnis, which I may be biased since he works for the Philadelphia Eagles, but there is so much to learn from Mike aside from his ties to my favorite football team. Mike is the director of performance nutrition and assistant strength and conditioning coach for the Eagles, and prior to that was the director of performance nutrition at USC. Mike is a registered dietitian and holds a master's degree in human nutrition with an emphasis on exercise science from Kansas State University, not too far from his hometown of Buckling, Kansas. In this episode, Mike and I discuss how to eat for performance, whether you're a professional athlete or a casual gym goer, and how to recover for optimal performance. We also get into what pre-workout nutrition looks like versus post-workout and the amount of food a 300-pound linebacker needs to eat versus a 165-pound wide receiver. And you know I won't forget to ask about how hydration and electrolytes fit in. Mike has a big job, but is so relatable when discussing nutrition and how best to fuel your body. We end this episode like many others getting a sneak peek into his own health and wellness routine, even laying out what supplements he's currently taking for overall health. Mike, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you on, especially being an Eagles fan um, and to talk sports nutrition. And I'd love to just start with a little bit more about your story and how you got into sports nutrition and then working with teams like the Eagles. Yeah. Well, Kate, well, thanks for having me. Thanks for thinking on me. I'm really excited to be here and talk shop with you. Um, you know, it's always funny because I, I feel like I get asked this a lot if I do a podcast, something like that. And I still struggle sometimes <laughs> to like sit there and think about chronologically how I got to where I'm at. But I'll get, I'll try to give the quick, you know, little elevator speech, I guess, as they would say. So uh, I did. I originally did an undergrad in business. I didn't really have any passions come out of high school or anything like that. I played sports and, and kind of a pretty similar story from a very small town. Um, so we didn't have to try out. So it's not like I was good at them. I just, uh, was able to play them, um, about three fourths through schooling. I realized, you know, business wasn't for me necessarily as a, as a path. And so I, I, I ended up finishing my degree undergrad and then I went to, so I was at university of Kansas when I went to Kansas state university to get a second undergrad in dietetics. So I knew I kind of, I kind of fell in love with nutrition and exercise while I was at KU. And that's kind of all I could study. You know, I went to business classes, but when I got home, I was just interested in learning about nutrition and and, uh, strength, conditioning, exercise, physiology, all that stuff. So I was like reading books and kind of doing a lot of self-teaching stuff. And I realized, you know, maybe I'll go turn it into a career. So went to Kansas State University and and did an undergrad in dietetics. And then, you know, as you're probably familiar, you know, you have to do a dietetic internship. So everybody has to kind of do this rotation where you do clinical management, food service, uh, all those things. And I actually did not get in. So I applied. for an internships. And I, I thought I was a shoe in, you know, I was very confident. I, I had good grades um, and I wanted to do sports nutrition. And so I was like, oh, I'll have this niche that everybody's going to love. And I kind of had this, you know, just thought that it was going to be no big deal. End up getting rejected or I didn't, didn't get into an internship, which really like floored me and kind of made me sit back. Okay. And be like, you know, okay, now what? So uh, blessed to have a great advisor that, you know, was like, well, I guess you should just stay and get your master's which I wasn't planning on doing. Um, and so you have to wait six months to reapply. So I was like, well, I might as well just start my master's. So I ended up getting a master's in nutrition and exercise physiology from Kansas state. And then I, uh, while I was there, one of the summers, uh, at a, I worked at the Kansas state dining center. Um, 
as a graduate management assistant. And uh, there was an associate there that actually told me about Exos, their athletes performance mm-hmm. facility you're familiar with. Yeah. And they were having these internships, their summer internships. So I was like, man, that sounds awesome. You know, I didn't know, really know anything about it. Uh, hadn't had any actual sports nutrition experience. I just know I was interested in it. Ended up applying for that in Phoenix, Arizona in the summer of 2013 and ended up getting that. So I went to Phoenix uh, for three months in the summer of 2013. That was my first sports nutrition experience at all. And it was awesome because it was kind of all encompassing. You know, they have a great up there, obviously. Um, and it was every type of athlete. I mean, there was NFL players there, MLB players, there was youth soccer players, there was Olympians, you know, shot put throwers and uh, skiers and you name it. Every type of athlete you can imagine was there that summer. So it was awesome for me just to immerse myself in that situation. And, and once I come out of that internship, I knew I was you know on the right path of what I wanted to do. Just really enjoyed it. Um, loved everything about it. Was able to do some of the strength conditioning stuff with them as well. And they have a great system all around. Um, and so that was kind of my first taste. And then from there, it was kind of all, it kind of all happened fast. I ended up getting a, a dietetic internship my second time around at the University of Oklahoma. During that rotation, I did an elective rotation uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles. So I applied um, and that's a whole, that's a really long story about how that got connected. And I'll say, <laughs> I'll save everybody the time on that. Um, but ended up getting a, an internship there in the spring. And so I did a, a, another three month internship and then they liked me enough, I guess, to ask me to come back for the season that next year. So I had to go back to Oklahoma, finish some rotations, and then I went back to Philadelphia. And this, so now we're in the fall of 2014, and I did a, a year-long internship uh, with the Philadelphia Eagles. And so that's kind of how I got my foot in the door here um, with the staff and everybody like that. And then and love that. Obviously, that was a, an amazing experience. Um but after the internship was over, you know, it was time to kind of move on. So then I, I went to the University of Texas next and did an internship um, with their athletics department. I got that through the CPSDA, um, nice, the, yeah. the, Gatorade, the Gatorade Sports Nutrition Immersion Program. So that was the second year, I think, of that program, second or third year. So that was awesome. Then I went back to Philadelphia after that to do a strength and conditioning internship in the spring of 2015. And then from there... All the while I'm finishing my master's online, I finish it that spring. And then I get my first full-time job at the University of uh, Southern California for their football team. So they were looking for a director of performance nutrition for football specifically. So I took that position and and was there for one season in 2015. And that was awesome because that was, you know, my first time kind of doing it on my own and really kind of seeing what I liked and didn't like and and learned a lot in just those really eight months I was there just about building a program and um, kind of, you know, building that quote unquote philosophy, as you would say, um, and love the athletes there, loved, loved everything about it. Uh, ended up getting a job offer to come back to Philadelphia full time. So they got a coaching change there. And so they asked me, you know, they remembered me from when I was an intern, obviously. And then they asked me to come back full time as a dual role, nutrition strength. And it was really hard. You know, I almost, State. I mean, I love USC. I love West, you know, uh, the West Coast. A lot of my family lives on the West Coast. And so it was a tough, you know, I almost just stayed, you know, it was a great situation there, but ended up taking the leap and coming to Philadelphia in 2016. And that's where I've been since. So going into my sixth year as a, a strength coach and the director of nutrition here. So that's, again, that's kind of 
I probably missed something, uh, missed a stop, but it was really <laughs> just a lot of, I was blessed to be able to be in a position where I could kind of just go where the wind blew me and pack my car up and, you know, just take an experience. So I was very grateful and blessed to be in that position. I know a lot of people don't have that luxury to kind of just bounce around and, and do that. So that was uh, kind of my path and kind of the reason I got to where I'm at. Yeah, no, that's a great story. And honestly, Mike, I had similar with not getting an internship my first time around. Yeah. Getting going to get my master's instead and finding out what I really wanted to do. So if there's yeah. anyone listening that wants to get in the field of nutrition, it is very competitive to get a dietetic internship, but yeah. know that sometimes not getting it is actually the best thing for you. For sure. And whatever you do along the way will prepare you to get it that hopefully that second round. Um right. And it seems like you've come accustomed to Philly, just seeing the Philly uh, sign behind you. Yeah. <laughs> so now yeah. it seems like maybe you're a Philly guy. <laughs> yeah, I think my wife got that for me. So I, uh, <laughs> it's just my job to hang it up. But yeah, but yeah I love I, I, I like Philadelphia a lot. I'm from a very small town, 700 people, a little farm town. I had 14 people in my graduating class. And so I, I'm from, yeah, kind of from the, you know, uh, yeah, a smaller town. So living in Philadelphia is definitely different, but I really enjoy it. I, we live down, you know, in the city and, you know, we're kind of, uh, yeah, all row homes are all stuck together, but I'm really enjoying it. I definitely, every once in a while, I miss, you know, a parking, uh, parking spot and <laughs> yeah. a, a yard and stuff like that. But Philly is very cool, very cool. And a great food scene as well. I'm sure. Oh, the food scene. That's actually probably what I miss yeah. the most from Philadelphia is, the food a hundred percent, even moving out West coast. I thought the food would be better, but mm, Philly was way better. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think I've been to a, I don't think I've been to another city where the food was so diverse. And, and what I like about Philadelphia is I feel like their, their chefs like collaborate, you know, it's not, it's Mm -hmm. competitive obviously, but I feel like they're all just trying to support each other. Yeah. That's what it seems like to me from the outside looking in. So I really enjoy it. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, well, let's start with, which I feel like a lot of people listening would want to know was what does eating for performance or nutrition look like for an Eagles player, right? Or a professional football player, just starting off with that. Right. Yeah. That's a great question. And I think when I kind of think about the all encompassing, uh, you know, vision of the, the program, you know, one of the main principles, I think of my philosophy kind of in different principles of sports nutrition. And so the primary principle is energy balance. And so the way I kind of explain that to the athlete is, you know, that's, that's weight maintenance, basically kind of layman's terms, but energy balance is, you know, we, we talk about it, maybe money in money out. So some people use money as an analogy of, you know, every time you practice, every time you play a game, you lift weights, even mentally, every time you study, you do something taxing mentally or physically, that costs something. And so, you know, let's use the the money example. That's like taking money out of your bank account every time that you do something like that. And nutrition is kind of your the deposit back. So you have to pay that back somehow. You can't just continue to take money out of your bank account and not replenish it without without getting into trouble. And so that's kind of the same thing with nutrition is if these athletes are old, you know, they have very, very busy schedules. Um, they're in, you know, they're lifting sessions and now they're in, in film study and in, in team meetings and position meetings, walkthroughs, um, practice, obviously the games, uh, you know, that's a lot of, a lot of energy. Yeah, that's a big cost. And so our job, kind of our primary job as sports dietitians is to make sure that 
they're meeting that balance and paying that back. And so that's all encompassing everything we do from, you know, the menus that we serve, the, the timing of meals, the, the sourcing of food that we do, um, the travel nutrition, you know, what do we have on the airplane, the hotel for games and the stadium after games that can include everything at the fuel station or, you know, nutrition station within our facility in the weight room, that's everything. So, you know, that's food, that's bars, snacks, shakes, supplements, like it kind of all encompassing, you know, can a guy maintain his weight. And with that, every guy does have a, you know, football is a very, you know, a, a unique sport and a lot of different types of positions, a lot of different body types. I mean, we have guys from, 185 pounds, 180 pounds, up to 360 pounds. And so not one size fits all, right? Energy balance. So the guy with 360 pounds, his cost of work is going to be a lot higher than the guy that's 170 pounds. And so we can't just have a cookie cutter approach. Um, those all Both those guys are going to eat very, very differently. Um, even if they have the same goal of maybe gaining weight or maintaining weight or whatever, they're going to look very, very different on a day-to-day basis. So we have to cater to that in terms of the foods we serve, um, the items we have. So uh, that's a very unique, you know, kind of a unique part about football specifically. Um, and so, yeah, we can get individualized guys to get gold body weight ranges. And that's based on, you know, body composition testing and some framing projections and things like that, kind of feeling like what we we feel like they should weigh. And it's not a perfect science. Um, but we have some pretty good stuff that can go into kind of setting a guy's weight range. They kind of know what, you know, what do I need to be? Um, so maybe that's 300 to 310 pounds and that's kind of where they want to sit. And then obviously we'll body comp. Then we use a skin folds, seven size skin folds, and uh, we'll do a body fat percentage to kind of tie that because, you know, a guy might be on the upper end of his weight range, but his body fat's really good. So, Hey, maybe you could maybe uh, hold maybe five more pounds or on the vice versa. Maybe a guy needs to lose weight because his body fat's too high. And so that kind of all goes into that weight range. And then obviously it's up to us as the dietitians to, make sure they have the resources to make, to stay in that range. So that's kind of the, you know, without getting into all the principles of sports nutrition, the energy balance one is really like your core, because if you're, if you're not maintaining weight and you're losing weight, you know, obviously you're going to be fatigued. You're going to lose muscle mass. um, You're putting your your body in a, in a stress state that's going to decrease your performance. And that's going to obviously decrease athletic performance and uh, increase your risk of injury. And then kind of on the flip side of that, if you're, if you're gaining too much weight, but putting too much back, you know, your body fat goes up, that's a stress to the body. Um, You know, that can lead to maybe some uh, immune system compromise or, or risk of injury or what have you. But at the end of the day, both of those, whether you're paying back too much or not paying back enough, they lead to decreased athletic performance. And all we're trying to do is improve performance. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And would you say, Mike, comparing like, right, like that 180 pound player versus the 300, hundred pound plus player, you still have them eating the same, you know, ratios of carbs, proteins, fats, just in larger portions or how, like, what would be, I'm just curious, like what would be a typical day of eating for each of them? You know, starting from first thing they're eating in the morning all the way till at night. Cause I know it's a lot of food. I used to work with Virginia Tech's nutrition and that yeah. was collegiate football. And it's like, I don't think people understand how much they're eating. Yeah. No, it's a lot. Uh, you could ask our, you know, our chefs always put out some very like interesting stats on the amount of <laughs> pounds of chicken. And I don't remember off the top oh of my, my head, God. <laughs> the pounds of pineapple and chicken we go through and it's unbelievable. Um, 
But I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I would say the in terms of the ratios, I'll just kind of walk you through yeah. how I do it. So, and I might even need these my, so I do like a really simple way to kind of start. And then obviously everybody, you kind of got to tailor Personalize it. So mm-hmm. like a really easy way for people to kind of get a baseline of calories is basically take a body weight times 10. So let's say the guy's 170 pounds and you take that times 10 and I can't do middle mass. So just forgive me. <laughs> so that's like 1700 calories. And that's, that's like what we call like a baseline calories. That's like, he could lay in bed all day long and he could still burn 1700 calories. That's what you need just to function, to breathe, um, to turn over tissue, things like that. And then these guys have pretty high activity rates, obviously. And so, you know, if you're familiar, if you're listening, you know, you can go to like, like a 1.0, 1.1 is like bed written up to like a 1.9, which is like a ultra marathoner. And, and normally like, I'll, I'll, again, this is kind of where you, the individual, you kind of know the individual because some of these guys, although they, they do a lot during training, when they go home, they're kind of lazy. And I don't say that in a bad way, but you don't like, have to factor it in. Yeah. But like guys aren't like going home in like going on walks and running around and like, you know, some guys. So I know how some guys live lifestyle wise. They play video games and which is nothing wrong with that, but you got to take that consideration. So I think a lot of people are like, well, man, I bet they're a 1.9, 1.8 and I would disagree. So let's say let's put this guy like a 1.7. Um, again, just activity factor, pretty basic stuff. So that's like 20, 2,900 calories. And again, now we're talking about that's what he needs to do to maintain. Again, this is not perfect science, but this is a good place to start, right? So 2,900 calories to maintain his weight. And so if he, if the guy needs to gain weight, then we'll, we'll probably put him at like maybe 3,200, 3,300, something like that. He needs to be putting back more than he's putting out. If he wants to maintain weight, then I'll, we'll set a goal weight, you know, between 27, 2,900. 28, 3000, something like that. Again, it's just um, a little bit flexible. And if he wants to lose weight, which I doubt because he's 170 pounds already, um, then you would put him in a deficit. Um, and, uh, you know, the how, I guess, aggressive you are, and that would depend on the type of, you know, part of the year and stuff like that. And so now we have our calories. So that's kind of like our energy needs. So let's just say 3000, 3000 calories is his needs. So he wants to gain or maybe even maintain. So I always start with protein needs first. So I always do uh, one gram per pound of protein is, is a is a really good general rule. I think for almost everyone, I could argue, um, even if you're not lifting and wanting to gain muscle mass and whatever, I do think there's a, you know, there's a good reason to have additional protein um, above the RDA requirements, but that could be a whole nother podcast, but 1.0 grams, uh, one uh, gram per pound of body weight. So this guy would have 170 grams of protein a day. And then I always go, so that's protein. And then I always go to fats next and that's based on a percentage. So, you know, anywhere from like 20 to 35%. So all this is where I'll get individualized. If does a guy like to eat more fat? Um, does he like fatty foods? Does he like peanut butter, nut butter, oils, dressing, stuff like that? Or does he like carbohydrates? You know, does he like the breads and pastas and potatoes and all those things? And not either one of those is fine. But if he likes to have, you know, more carbohydrates, like I love rice and pasta and things like that, then I'll set the fat a little bit less, maybe 20, 25 percent of his calories. I'll calculate that. And then the rest just fills in with carbohydrates. Um, Got it. So that's kind of how you set the macros. And then from there, you you know, we, we use some we use an app um, uh, to kind of help us build our our meals. So mm-hmm. guys will have the app and it'll say, hey you know, I, I need 3000 calories today. I need 170 grams of protein. I need 
let's just say 80, I didn't do the math, 80 grams of fat and 350 grams of carbohydrates. That's probably well off, but then they can kind of fill in as they go throughout the day and they go into breakfast and they have eggs and bacon and two pieces of toast with peanut butter. They can log that. And then they don't just kind of like keep a running total. It's like a budget. You know, you have a daily budget again, back to the money analogy, you have a budget and you can spend that budget wherever you want, but you only have that much. Um, And so keep them accountable to that. And some guys are really good at it. And some guys really don't even need that much detail. You know, they might just need some tips, quick tips. Hey, I'm doing this at breakfast. I don't necessarily think this is the best. What can I do at breakfast? You know, I feel like I'm pretty good. Hey, I'm, I'm really good at breakfast and lunch. This is what I'm having, but dinner, I, I don't know how to cook. And I'm like, I go home and I'm just clueless. So I Uber Eats or whatever. And then, so you can just help them with that. So there's kind of you across the spectrum of what guys need. Not everybody needs like a detailed, like macronutrient plan. Do you find Mike for some of the guys that need, right? Like we just based that off a 170 pound person. Right. But like some of the 300 plus guys, right. The big linemen. Yeah. Do you find that it's hard for them to meet? their needs. Yeah, I do. It's a I think, lot. Of, it's yeah. a lot of food. It's, and it's, yeah. it, it's a lot on your body too. Right. And like to, you're kind of constantly eating. Yeah. It's a lot. I'd say in the off season, which is, you know, right now it's not as much because they don't have anything really nothing like the stressors are a little bit less in terms of football. So they're, yeah. they're not in the building as long. They have a little bit more time, you know, they're not practicing. So really if you could just focus on lifting weights and maybe a little bit of conditioning, but once you get in season, it gets really hard, especially like the just monotony and strain of like, okay, it's week 14 and it's like the exact same schedule. And now I got to keep feeding and like eating. So what you see is like guys come into camp really, really good. And then over the probably the first six to eight weeks is fine. Training camp stuff because, you know, a lot of guys are using, losing weight from a hydration standpoint, but that's another principle. Um, but I think like after you get through like week eight, now you're like mid season and it's just like the same thing. It's almost like groundhog day. Like the schedules yeah. really don't change that much. Um, cause we just want guys to kind of know where they're supposed to be. And so there's not a lot of, you know, fluctuations in times and schedules of meetings and practices and lists. It's kind of like always the same. And guys, I think just start getting kind of just burnt out just by just eating, you know, and again, like. You know, people like we're, we're at home, you know, obviously like a lot of people, maybe you like to cook at home and eat at home and stuff like that. But we go out to eat for a reason. It's because we get sick of cooking for ourselves and we want to just have something else. Like we want to taste something else. It could be the exact same thing, grilled chicken. But if I go and eat grilled chicken at a restaurant, it tastes different than when I make grilled chicken or when you make grilled chicken. And so when they're eating at a facility all the time, three meals a day, like it just gets repetitive. And there's nothing that our culinary staff can do. There's nothing that we can do. Um, it's, it's just part of it. It's like the nature of the beast a little bit. So like just throwing in some of the, maybe we'll bring a catered, uh, catering in like on a Wednesday night or something like that, just to give them the guys, a, you know, a break and a new taste or, um, something like that. But that gets really challenging, uh, to kind of keep things fresh and not get stagnant with nutrition, especially when a guy's eating to your point, you know, 5,000, 6,000 calories a day. It's just like, it's just work, you know? Yeah. It's part of, it's, it's part of the job. For sure. You know, I don't think people realize that. It's like, you know, I feel like most of us eat food for enjoyment and right. hopefully a lot of them are getting enjoyment out of it, but it's different. It's part of the job and yep. it's hard to get in that many calories a day. I wish um, I could. I, I yeah. wish I could do that. <laughs> well, it's funny, but I feel like everyone thinks that, right? Like, oh, I for wish sure. I could eat whatever I wanted all day. 
but it probably gets just like you were saying, monotonous and tough for a lot of them. Um, so now if we're thinking about, you know, more of our listeners, so like you're fairly active person Mm -hmm. in terms of eating for performance and like pre-workout nutrition versus post-workout nutrition, what are some principles that you think everyone should know or like common misconceptions you see around that? Yeah. Well, I would say, you know, before I jump into this, I think a difference between your, you know, whatever you want to call them, just your kind of like uh, average gym goer or yep. just a non, let's just call them a non-professional athlete, which is, you know, most of us, you know, the, the difference between that and the professional athlete is out of those calories, like obviously you want to f- fuel with really good foods, right? You want to fuel with whole foods and, um, you know, whatever your philosophy is on organic or not. And, and we want to have the best quality food. I mean, that's plain and simple, you know, um, grass fed beef or whatever. Like I yeah. think some of those things you could argue back and forth on the data and all that stuff, but if you can have those, why not have those? Right. So that's important. But at the same time, like those guys are going to have to eat some, some things that we would maybe deem not healthy, especially those guys that are like eating 6,000 calories a day, because yeah. good luck eating, brown rice, broccoli, and grilled chicken, six <laughs> calories. like those guys are going to have to have a lot, you know, sugar and simple carbohydrates and ice cream. And, you know what I mean? Like we're going to get creative some of those times, like mm-hmm. they can eat mac and cheese and buttery potatoes and like all those things where you're like, man, the athletes they're eating, you know, mac and cheese and snacks and stuff like that. Yeah. Like they're going to have to get those calories somehow. You can't just have all this fiber and the satiating foods, and, and expect to, you know, be able to consume that many calories. So there's strategy that goes in with that. So then I guess going back to your question, um, obviously like those, you know, the people now we're talking about aren't eating probably 6,000 calories a day. Now we're in a lower normal range, probably from 2000 to 3000 calories a day. You should probably eat a little bit better foods, higher fiber foods to keep yourself full. Otherwise that's how when people start overeating, and so the quality of your food becomes even more important when you're working with less of a budget. Um, but, I, but specifically to the nutrient timing piece, I guess where kind of where my mind first goes, let's talk about pre-training. You know, I remember when I was coming up kind of in college and stuff like the fat, the whole fasting, like exercise fasted thing was always kind of a big, um, and, and I work out in the morning. And so, and I, uh, you know, I don't necessarily think like working out fasted is the greatest thing, but I also understand if the listeners you're working out at 6am, I'm not eating something before I work out at 6am either. But I think when you, if you're that person that night before yep. dinner type of meal is just becomes that much more important. So if you're eating dinner at six, you know, 6pm or whatever that may be, and not training again until 6 a.m. You got to make that that meal hopefully pretty substantial in the sense of is can that fuel you for that morning workout? And obviously, when we're talking about fueling, the carbohydrates are, are kind of important. Obviously, you know, without knowing what the listener is doing, you know, in terms of what kind of training, lifting or running, and because an endurance athlete's gonna be very, very different in terms of carbohydrate needs and maybe just somebody that's just lifting weights. I would argue that, you know, that person doesn't need a lot of carbohydrate, maybe just a moderate carbohydrate diet would be fine for them. Um, but that meal, you know, becomes more important. And I would even say maybe um, doing like a pre pre bed protein meal or a snack or something like that. Obviously, it's not big enough to affect your sleep, but something like that becomes more important. If you have the luxury of training later in the day where you have some timing of meals, 
you know, for us, our, our athletes will, will do a meal, a pretty substantial meal about four hours before. So whether that's a game, uh, whether that's a big practice, we always try to have four hours just to help um, enhance digestion. So if you eat a nice big meal about four hours before, you can be pretty sure that by the time you go into that training session or whatever have you, um, you know, you won't have any GI distress or anything like that. And you can eat a pretty good meal in terms of really whatever it can be. It can be a higher fat and protein and, and probably have some fiber and things like that in there. Once you start getting inching closer to your activity, your fiber, kind of your general rules is your fiber needs to come down because fiber is very satiating. It can sit in your gut, although it's great for you. Um, and then your fat needs to come down as well because that's also satiating and kind of sit, you know, go slower through your digestive tract. And so that can cause some GI distress to some people. So when we're talking about like immediately pre, so let's say within an hour, it's really just all carbohydrate and it's gotta be, you know, simple digestive carbohydrates. So things that are low in fiber, um, low in fat and then post-training, you know, this is a whole nother, you know, Again, when I was coming through college, it was like kind of this window of opportunity or whatever they call that kind of after your your training session, you know, the window, anabolic window or the window of opportunity. And, and that is true in a sense. But what that what that's dictated off is when your previous meal was. So let's use the example of the person coming in the morning. You haven't eaten dinner since, you know, you haven't eaten a meal since 6 p.m., let's say. Right. So your post training like is pretty important in terms of getting that very fast. And so that's immediately after if you can. And that could be in the form of a meal, a shake, whatever is good. But again, we're looking for, for carbohydrate and protein is kind of your primary yep. deal there for recovery, just muscle recovery, glycogen replenishment, depending on what you're doing. But I'd say protein is kind of that the primary just from muscle recovery. I'm, ass I'm assuming most listeners are interested in, you know, maintaining muscle mass or gaining muscle mass or just being healthy. Um, but if you're somebody that had that luxury of eating a meal before, that timing afterwards isn't as important. So I always kind of like to think of like a four hour eating every four hours. So, so let's just say using like a protein example of like having a protein every four to six hours. So if I eat something at 2 PM and I work out at 3 PM and I'm done at 4 PM, I don't need to go crush like a shake at 4 PM because I just ate two, three hours ago, you know, so I can wait a little bit longer and give me that four to six hour window, if that makes sense. So it's all that, that post-training window is kind of dictated on what your pre-training meal was. So if you're training yeah. first thing in the morning, it's very important to get it right after to help recovery. If you've eaten and worked out within a four to six hour window, you know, it's not as uh, crucial to get that post-training, you know, protein and carbohydrate. You could probably wait to your next meal, if that makes sense. So hopefully that added a little bit of clarity. I kind of went all over the place. No, it, it definitely does. Um, I'm so glad too with post-workout nutrition. Cause one thing I see all the time, Mike, is people just having protein after they work out or thinking that's all they need yeah. and not realizing that they need the carbohydrates with the protein, even just to rebuild and mm -hmm. synthesize new muscle because right. there's so many like, you know, shakes on the market where you just mix in some water and there's mm. zero carbohydrates in them. Right. right. They're usually loaded with like artificial sweeteners right. and you shake it with water and people think they're good, but in reality, they're not gonna, you know, one, see the progress they want to, because if they're looking to build muscle, it's just right. not going to happen that way. Right. So I love that you brought that up. And the other thing I wanted to touch on in terms of that pre-workout nutrition. So for anyone listening, like Mike said, if you're working out super early in the morning, okay to do it fasted, but like make sure that night before 
depending on what your training is like, if you are running a few miles in the morning, you're going to need more carbohydrates. But if you're just going to the gym, um, you know, for an hour session or something like that, just adding like a sweet potato in at dinner. And then Mm -hmm. if you're hungry for a snack after dinner, maybe doing like some nut butter and some fruit. And those would be like those high quality foods we're talking about, right? Like some nights that dessert or snack may be an ice cream bar, right? Or something else. But if we're really focusing on those high quality foods, which part of that reason is to also get in those antioxidants. So something Mm -hmm. like I always like to think of, you know what? I feel like I think of it more post-workout too, is when you're building your meal, like you want the protein carbohydrates, hopefully some, you have some healthy fats on there too. And then thinking about that antioxidant part after. So whether it's, um, if you are making a shake, like maybe you're adding in some greens to your shake or adding in some berries, right. But that's going to also help with your recovery. So just thinking about that piece as well, I think is always helpful. And also, which will lead us right in Mike to my next kind of where I want to go next is salt your foods (laughs) post-workout. especially if you've been sweating a lot, um, where I want to dive into hydration and electrolytes and where that fits in. And I've just found so many clients, um, and just people in general, especially because salt has gotten such a bad rap. People are Mm -hmm. deficient in electrolytes and particularly sodium as well. Yeah. And it's causing all these other issues for them. Um, but people are afraid to use the salt shaker and especially post-workout, it's so important. Um, so I'd love for you just to dive into, you know, where hydration fits into, you know, we're talking about eating for performance, but now hydrating for performance and where electrolytes fit in. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, hydration, obviously, you know, being in the sports nutrition industry, there's always company coming out with new hydration. You know, you go to your, the store and there's 4,000 different hydration products and all those things. It can be a little overwhelming for, for consumers, for sure. It's overwhelming for me. You know, I get, I get kind of bombarded with all these products and they are a little bit kind of look the same and not really sure why this one's different than this one. And, but I would just say back to the, the salt part, obviously, you know, from all the data that they've done on sweat testing, it's pretty clear uh, that people sweat mostly sodium and chloride, which is salt. Um, you know, they do sweat some of the other electrolytes like potassium, right? Potassium is kind of be the gold standard, you know, eat a banana. If you're cramping, uh, you know, the, the data that I've seen, you know, in the past five, 10 years, whatever, it suggests that people don't sweat as much sodium or sorry, as much potassium as we thought. Yeah. So obviously potassium through foods and bananas and things are great, but doing a lot of extra potassium probably isn't completely necessary. Um, whereas the sodium chloride, that salt piece is absolutely necessary. Um, and, you know, kind of like case said, you know, the easiest way to get that is just salt your food. And I think there are a lot of people that, you know, just get that bad rap because obviously, you know, salt can, you know, uh, increase fluid retention, which is exactly what we're going for as an athlete. You know, that's the whole reason we're even doing salt, you know, water follows salt. So if you lose salt, you lose water. If you put salt in, you put water in, um, if you drink with it, obviously, but, um, I think these people, you know, people get, a yeah, have, it has a bad connotation just in terms of its, you know, uh, relationship to high blood pressure and things like that, which again, it, it is, that is relative, but not if you're, if you're an athlete, 
you know, if you're somebody that or, sits on the or Mike, they day, think they think like bloating, you know, like I'll right. know a lot of women that are like, well, if I eat too much salt and then I drink too much water, I'm going to be bloated. Right. And it's like, yes, to a point, right? right? If you're, let's say you're eating out a lot, right? And right. you're eating a lot of processed foods and you're getting sodium from those places. Yes. Right. There, it, there's a good chance you may feel bloated from it, mm-hmm. but for most people, you need that salt to be hydrated. I mean, I notice right. I could be drinking water all day long, which a good way to, you know, just to be frank, a good way to know if you're not retaining your hydration is if you're drinking all day long and you're peeing all day long for sure, and that's something, you know, and then usually I'm like, all right, I got to put some extra salt on my foods today or do some type of an electrolyte packet while I'm drinking. Right. But it's something you want to be aware of. Or if you feel like I'm constantly drinking all day and like your lips are still chapped or right. you just don't feel hydrated, your skin doesn't look hydrated. Right. Those are easy signs to tell you, you need to get some of that sodium in to retain that water. Right. Absolutely. And then people can tell too, you know, I mean, I don't know if it's disgusting or not, but when you sweat, like you can tell if you are a heavy, if you're a sweater. salty sweater. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, if you are, you know, and so you can almost subjectively say, Hey, I probably need more salt than that person right over there because you know what I mean? Like you can kind of gauge that a little bit and that's hard. We, I mean, we do actual sweat testing. So now we're like getting very objective with it and we can make very specific recommendations based on the sweat testing data. Not everybody has that resource or luxury, obviously. So it's a little bit of a, you know, trial and error. Um, but it's like, to your point, you gotta, you gotta be, you kind of gotta have your head on a swivel in terms. Yeah. Are you, are you going to the bathroom a lot? Is your bath, you know, is your, your clears look like apple juice? I mean, there's a lot of different, are you losing weight? Are you bloated? I mean, there's a lot of signs and stuff that you can kind of gauge. And I would say to your bloating, you know, I think bloating is, is normal. Sometimes I think, I think people get this connotation that bloating is like something bad's happening and that's not necessarily true. I mean, it's just a normal response sometimes by your body. So obviously if you have like chronic bloating, but I would say like, if you get bloated or something like that, I mean, that's not the end of the world. That's just my opinion on bloating. Yeah, no. And it's interesting. It's like when we do think of, I'm glad you brought up like the potassium piece of it too, because I feel like most people think, yeah, just have a banana, right? Like that's what's going to keep you that covers like your electrolytes or staying hydrated. And yes, most people are deficient in potassium and magnesium, which magnesium is the one, if you actually experience a lot of cramping, that's one I would. And, um, unfortunately, because most of us are, you know, have a decent level of stress, which makes us lose more magnesium. Mm -hmm. It's tough to get that. So it's nice to have those pieces, but really salt is like that main one. And I even noticed, and I'm curious, Mike, if you deal with players having low, low sodium levels or hyponatremia and making sure they don't go into that. But I even noticed for myself sometimes when, and this is good for anyone listening, like if you start to feel all of a sudden, you know, kind of flu like or sickly and you're like, that just kind of came on. And for me, I'll actually start craving salt and vinegar chips. Yeah. And I know immediately my sodium's low. The minute you take in that salt, you feel better. And that's actually one thing being pregnant. Um, when I was nauseous, you know, the first couple weeks always made sure my salt was up and the nausea would go away. So those are like little signs, but, um, can you talk a little bit more about if you deal with hyponatremia or low salt levels with the players, especially when it's really hot out in their training? 
Yeah. I mean, we do, like I said, we do some individualized sweat testing so we can kind of, you know, flag the guys that we know are going to be very heavy salt sweaters. Yeah. And so we can really kind of get on them just in terms of being out with them at practice and and having that luxury to really kind of give them some uh, individualized attention, you could say. And then after practice, we do like weigh-ins and weigh-outs. And so guys are weigh in before they they go out and the way out after we kind of calculate a little bit of, you know, what they lost and kind of give a nice yeah. intervention to put back. So I would say for the most time, like our guys do a great job by the end, by the, you know, body weight's very telling during training camp. Cause if you see a guy like really going down, 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 a lot of that's due to hydration. So I can pretty much guess that a guy probably does to your point, maybe a little bit of hypotremia or um, losing a lot of fluids and things like that. Probably about halfway through training camp, 15, 16 days in is probably when you see some guys. But I think our guys do such a good job of I mean, it's in their face all day. I mean, whether it's <laughs> at the at the meals, we you know, we obviously don't hold back on salt when we're cooking our, yep. like our culinary team. There's no low sodium items um, or anything like that. So, you know, all the flu- foods are full sodium. We have a lot of different different types of uh, hydration, hydration, supplementation type things, um, different products and stuff that can really, really help these guys that have a very high salt intake because it kind of goes back to the calorie intake. Like it's hard for some of these guys to put back that much salt with just food. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, some of these guys have very incredibly high sweat losses and sodium uh, chloride losses. And so they do need to use a different, you know, maybe a supplemental product or something like that to add in with them. Um, so I, I'd say for the most part, guys do good. We do do, we do do a little bit of blood testing, like on a day daily basis to look at some sodium chloride stuff. And we haven't seen, you know, too big of issues, which is promising. And it kind of tells us that we're doing a pretty good job. Um, but I would say to your magnesium point, uh, we do a lot of blood testing yearly and magnesium is a culprit. Um, yeah. our guys are low in serum magnesium or red blood cell magnesium, or whatever you, you want to measure. Just, it's really hard to get that much of food. Um, and so totally. we kind of find supplementation is, usually you know necessary to get those not all the time but for for some guys to get those adequate magnesium levels that's a that's well, a and, tough one yeah because yeah, magnesium is so important for like muscle contraction and then relaxation yep right so like for them it's so important um just to have their muscles know when to contract and when to relax when they're mm-hmm. playing that much and that's for honestly that's like for anyone too who's I mean, if you're just an active person, it's yeah. it's really yeah. important. Um, yeah, cramping. But like I'm, said, I'm with you. It's so the... hard to get it through food. Yeah. You know, that's like magnesium is one of those ones where I'm surprised if any if I see people's levels mm-hmm. being normal, because for the most part, people are usually a little low. But something easy for anyone listening that you can do is. Just, you know, add in an electrolyte packet or half a one to your water each day. Yep. Um, I know I add one into 32 ounce bottle, you know, and try to make sure if you're not, you know, working out a lot or being very active, see if you can get one that doesn't have a lot of added sugars right. um, or, you know, trying to avoid artificial sweeteners too. But that's a really easy way you can. Um, well, I'm curious, Mike, what I love to like get into like what your daily health and wellness routine is obviously based off of everything, you know, I know you said you're a gym goer as well. So what are some of the principles that you just follow in your own wellness routine? Ooh, that's a good question. (laughs) Um, yeah, for me, I mean, 
the, the kind of like a, a this is a principle of ours too but i'm I'm very big into the just gut health and, and the, the microbiome and kind of the you know that's still such a new a new field and i think the future almost like the trend in, in sports nutrition and really just personalized prescription nutrition and so i always start my day with a probiotic um but you know it's not it's not just about the supplements you know it's that's it all comes back to the quality of foods we we eat um, you know, when, when we always talk about prebiotics, we're talking about fiber and, and fiber is, is come, you know, you can't get fiber from, from processed foods or crappy foods. You can get fiber through fruits and vegetables and whole grains and whole foods. That's how you get fiber. That's how you get prebiotics. You know, the, I got, I got the gut, you know, the gut's a little, it's complex, you know, and it's complex when you're talking to people about it and it's, I, it's still way over my head. You know, I, I try to, I, I think I understand the basics of it, but you know, it was explained to me one time. You know, your, the bacteria in your gut, uh, the live bacteria is like a farm of animals. And so there's a lot of different types of animals in there, right? And those animals feed off different food. And so your prebiotics are like the food. So you can't just, now we're talking about diversity of diet. You can't just feed all the animals one type of food, you know? So that's the same thing with diet. Like you have to give yourself a, a nice, robust diet and diverse diet of different fruits and different vegetables and different whole grains and all those things to make sure you're feeding all of your animals, if that makes sense. So I think of that just kind of my overall encompassing pieces. I try to eat as many whole foods as I can, and I try to eat as least processed foods. And, and I'm not perfect, and I'll eat processed foods and stuff like that sometimes. It's not, you know, it's definitely not perfect, but I always try to, you know, uh, consume really, really good, good quality, quality items. Um, obviously, I think, you know, hydration is the principle as well for me, and I don't always... I kind of like do UK where I kind of just self-regulate myself a little bit. Um, but I've never, I'm not a salty sweater. So I kind of know that just from when I train and the way I train is I lift most of the time. And so I'm only lifting it for like an hour. I'm not like sweating that much. I'm not working that hard. So I'm not sitting there crushing like electrolytes because I just don't, I know I don't need those. And so I can yeah. regulate myself off that. Um, and so, you know, and then energy balance is important to me. You know, I don't want to, gain a lot of weight and I don't want to lose a lot of weight. I kind of like being in a, you know, I have my own goal body weight range that I like. And if you don't, and that's completely fine. And, and I'm not promoting weighing yourself or anything like that. I think that's a very personal preference to me. I like to just see if I'm, I want to auto-regulate myself. So instead of yeah. me tracking my food, which again, if you like to do that, that's fine. Cause I do, I do think there's something to that in terms of learning about, you know, it is pretty eye-opening when you actually track some things and you'd be very surprised how many calories are in certain foods. Um, so I think there is a time and place if you're interested in learning more, but I like to maybe, you know, weigh myself every once in a while just to regulate myself. Because if I feel like I'm eating to maintain, but my weight, I'm up five pounds, I'm obviously eating too much to, against my goal. You know what I mean? And vice versa, if I'm losing a lot of weight, but I feel like I'm eating enough, I'm obviously not. And so that just helps me auto-regulate myself on a day-to-day basis of how much, because it is really hard to gauge. And especially if you're going out to eat and, and having fun and doing those things, which you should, um, that's so that's me personally is I, I kind of like to just maintain like a healthy energy balance. I don't like to go too high, too low and get start yo-yoing all over the place. I like to be pretty steady in my approach. And then again, fill my plates with a lot of those whole foods and things like that. And then, you know, I'm, I'm a registered dietitian and, you know, I think there's this, it's, uh, you know, it is a food first philosophy, obviously, but I do think there's a time and place for supplements. And, I, I, you know, obviously, you know, supplement has a whole nother topic in terms of making sure you're taking something that's safe and, and it's, it's a 
a little bit of a sketchy industry if you're getting into the wrong things, but there are some very reputable, yeah. reputable companies that are certified and, um, yeah. you know, Northern Nationals is one of them, NSF certified for sport. And so you can kind of know um, what you're putting in your body is what, you know, what it says. And so, you know, I do do, you know, I'll, I'll use some protein powder if I need a supplement, you know, if I feel like I was low in a meal on protein for my food, I can use this protein supplement. Um, but there's other, you know, vitamin D is one that I think, yeah, I don't get out in the sun enough. Uh, and I would burn alive if I did. So I can't really, you know, vitamin D is something that I'll take year round for the most part. Uh, you know, I think omega three fatty acids are very, very important and I don't really eat seafood. I'm from Kansas, so I, I don't eat a ton <laughs> of seafood. You know, so omega threes are a staple for me. And then the magnesium, like we talked about, is a staple for me just in terms of just kind of yeah. uh, making sure I'm covering my basis there. And then, like I said, the probiotic, I think, is a staple for me just to, again, you can get it from foods, but I also think, you know, it's not a bad idea to maybe add a good reputable probiotic in as well. But that's kind of yeah. my, my philosophy on myself. No, for sure, Mike. And we're on the same page. Like I always tell people, it's like most people need omega-3, a probiotic, because most people aren't eating probiotic foods every day, no. right? And same with uh-huh. omega-3s too. And then vitamin D, just because most of us are deficient, even if we're out in the sun, we're usually wearing sunscreen or we're covered. Right. And then it is like magnesium and a B complex are like my next little yeah. tier. So yep. we are, we are spot on. Yeah. Um, well, we love to end every episode, Mike, with a quick rapid fire Q and a. So just first thing that comes to mind, Boy. what is your favorite de-stressing practice or tool? Ooh, that's good. I mean, really I've been in the strength conditioning field. Um, you know, we, we talk about breathing all the time, you know, uh, the correct way to breathe. And, and it, you know, before I got into strength conditioning, I don't even know if I thought about breathing before, you know what I mean? Like, I think you just go through your day and yeah. You're, you're taking all these breaths, but you're not really thinking about, well, am I breathing through my nose or my mouth or my breathing from my chest or my diaphragm? Like, and once I kind of like learned about the power of breath, I feel like anytime I feel like I'm getting a little bit overwhelmed or stressed, um, or I just need to cool down, like I'll just breathe and I'll breathe in through my nose, out through my mouth. I always try to do like a two to one ratio of, you know, exhale to inhale. And I'm trying to breathe through my belly. So if I could put my hand on my chest or my, and my stomach, all my, all my air coming through my stomach and moving my hand on my stomach and just doing breath cycles. And I think that's the most powerful thing that I've, I've ever done. I mean, I've done some of the guided meditation stuff before, but to me, that's not as practical or, and it's not as quick, you know, if I'm like feeling overwhelmed in the moment at work or something like that, I can't like put my iPod on and like shut my lights off my office and meditate, but I can breathe, you know, I can just slow down, big, deep breath into my nose, big exhale out through my mouth you know, four to five breaths. And then usually that can kind of, again, bring you in that parasympathetic state a little bit more um, and relax. Yeah, no, I love that. Do you, are you familiar with the book breath by James Nestor? I've heard of it. I have not read it. Yeah. So we actually, we had him on the podcast, Mike, and he's great. Like that's, it's such a great episode to listen to as well. Um, And that actually should be coming up fairly soon, but it's so interesting because he really goes into like the benefits of and he talks specifically about nose breathing and nasal yeah. breathing and the benefits over mouth breathing. Yeah. Um, but it's so powerful and he goes into all the research. So I love that. Awesome. Um, okay. Next one is coffee or tea. Neither. <laughs> okay. Well then what, what's yeah. your, what's your beverage of choice? Or I guess like if it's not water, right? 
Yeah. I mean, I, so I love caffeine, <laughs> but I don't, I just don't, I like the smell of coffee, but I don't like the taste yet. And I'll try it like every, my palate's obviously, you know, it's, it's changing and I used to be the pickiest eater ever. So, um, I, I'll, I'll like taste coffee like once a year and be like, oh, I wonder if I like it yet. And I just haven't, <laughs> it just hasn't done it for me yet. And then tea, you know, we used to drink like iced tea where I'm from, like for dinner yeah. or whatever, but like, I don't drink tea anymore. Uh, I get my caffeine through again, like there's some different supplements that I like and they're not pre-workout supplements. I, I would call more like pre-work supplements where they're mm-hmm. like almost like nootropics, some cognitive yeah. enhancer type stuff. Um, awesome. so some different nootropics in there, but it has some caffeine in it as well. Um, so that's kind of where I get my caffeine from. Um, uh, but that's most either that or I'm drinking water, uh, and I'll, I'll splurge and I do enjoy a diet soda every now and then I'm not going to lie. Um, yeah. so, uh, I will enjoy like a nice diet soda maybe with like a dinner or something like that. But for the most part, that's what I drink. Awesome. Okay. My personal favorite, which I'm sure you'll appreciate. What's your favorite home cooked meal? Yeah, was, I mean, I would say, cause I feel like it's changed, but I always just come back to, I'm from the Midwest. So I'm from, like I said, at the beginning, I'm from Southwest Kansas. We, I grew up on red meat. And so I grew up on steak. Like I didn't have fish till I was like 17. Uh, we ate just a lot of steak and chicken. My, my grandma, uh, my grandpa had a dairy farm. Uh, so honestly, like I love just like a big steak, like a big, if I could pick any, any steak, I just do like a, a porterhouse, mm-hmm. um, medium, maybe like a little truffle butter on there. And I know now we're not talking like, I'm not getting this at home. So I, mean, I think I'm like skewing off the, no, like it, it can more, be favorite. It can just be ideal meal. It can be last yeah. meal. <laughs> yeah. So that's like, I said, big porterhouse with truffle butter, mashed potatoes, mm. um, and like Brussels sprouts or like some type of veggie. But, uh, every time I, if I go out to eat and if I, if I don't get steak, something's, something's wrong. So usually I'll get that, but uh, I also love like a good, you know, being in Philly and the Italian, uh, you know, I can definitely, I love a nice pasta with like some meat sauce, like red, you know, get some, some yeah. ground beef with some red sauce and pasta. What's yours? Oh, it sounds good. Oh my gosh. I have so many, but I will say Mike, there's one dish. Um, it's really simple, but for some reason, my husband and I just like, every time I make it, we're like, this is just the best. Um, but it's a lemon garlic artichoke chicken dish. Um, I can actually, you know, I'll send it to you when yeah, I send you it. some stuff after is it our, your recipe. It is, um, which not to tap my own, to my own horn because there's so many, I mean, I'm such a foodie. So there's like the list could go on and on, Yeah, but it's just something that's so comforting to us and it's really yeah. easy to make. So yeah. I love that aspect too. It's like, you need a can of artichokes, you need some chicken thighs. Yeah. You need Ooh, some thighs. garlics. Yeah. Some garlic, some nice. lemon. We'll usually add like maybe mushrooms or greens, or you can add like potatoes in, like a little some red potatoes and kind of make it your own, which yeah. I like as well. Right. Um, but it's just one of those dishes, you know. Yeah. But you're talking yeah. to me too with the steak and truffle butter, especially while I'm pregnant. It's like oh yeah, you know, I'm craving. I could eat red, red meat every day right now. Well, so I was gonna say I, I, forgot, <laughs> I forgot to add the uh, glass of cabernet with that as well. Oh yeah, I am missing that right yeah. now. I, I, didn't, I know say. I didn't. Well, I didn't want to put that out there, <laughs> make you feel bad. Oh my gosh, but yeah, a nice piece of red meat and a good cab. You yep. cannot go wrong. Nope. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh, Michael, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Where can people um, connect with you or, you know, find you online if they have further questions? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest, probably the easiest way I have a LinkedIn. Uh, I mean, you can just search my name and send me a message on there. Sometimes, you know, people find on there, send me a message and, and I'll just, you know, say, Hey, email me at my work email address. So kind of depending, sometimes I'll message them back on there directly, just depending on kind of what questions they have and that type of thing. So, I mean, that's probably the easiest. I mean, you can find me on Instagram, you can find me on Twitter. I mean, my name's pretty unique. Um, Mike Menace. So if you search my name, you'll find me. I don't even remember what my handles are off the top of my head, but if you search my <laughs> name, if you search my name, if you search my name, you'll, you'll find me. So yeah, reach out. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Mike, again. And hopefully us Eagles will be winning some games this season. I feel like we will. I feel like we will have a great feeling about it. (laughs) Me too. Well, I'm crossing my fingers, but I want to say me too. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. um, And we'll be in touch. Awesome. Thank you, Kate. Thanks for having me. Pre and post-workout nutrition is so critical to not only achieve results, but also for your body to heal and recover. Take a look at your pre and post-workout nutrition regimen. Are you consuming carbs before a workout or have enough from the night before? And post-workout, are there both carbs and protein on your plate? Make adjustments as needed and know you can always reach out to me with any questions. Thanks for listening to Naturally Well by Nordic Naturals. And remember, you can watch every episode of the podcast on our Naturally Well YouTube channel. You can follow me on Instagram at livewellwithkate, where I provide a variety of daily health and wellness tips. Naturally Well is hosted by myself, Kate Turner, and produced by Andrew Steven. If you have any questions, please send us an email at podcast at nordicnaturals.com, and we hope to answer your question on air. If you like the show, please tell a friend, share an episode, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.